Welcome back to Rebellion Dogs Radio, a 21st century look at 12-step life, now with more bite and less dogma. This week we're talking about reading, and we're talking about writing. It's the book club episode, episode number six, if you're keeping track at home. RebellionDogsPublishing.com has a bookstore. Not only is Beyond Belief, Agnostic Musings for 12-Step Life available there, The Little Book is available there, and there's a whole bookstore section. We encourage you to buy books at your local bookstore for sure, but if you buy books online, you can certainly access them through Amazon or any of your favorite retailers through RebellionDogsPublishing.com. Let's talk about some of these books today. We're going to talk about Waiting by Maria Hornbacker, The Little Book, a collection of alternative 12 steps, Vince Hawking's collections, An Atheist Guide to Alcoholics Anonymous, Old Timers and Newcomers version. He's got a booklet for anyone in any 12-step recovery program devoted to the 12 steps. Philip Z is a bit of a pioneer. He wrote A Skeptic's Guide to the 12 Steps. From New York, we'll be looking at My Name is Lillian, and I'm an Alcoholic and an Atheist. How I Got and Stayed Sober in AA Without All That God Stuff. As well, a brand new book by John Luritsen called A Free Thinker in Alcoholics Anonymous. He got his start in Greenwich Village, AA, back in the 60s. As 12-steppers, we are all readers, listeners. We are all storytellers or writers. It was flattering and fascinating for us to read Not God, A History of Alcoholics Anonymous, because Ernie Kurtz isn't one of us. He's observing us and telling us and the whole world what he sees. Chuck Palahniuk is the author we associate with fiction. He wrote Fight Club. He has a 2004 book called Stranger Than Fiction, True Stories. And in his introduction, he talks about the similarities of crafting a true story and a fictional story. He studied us, too. Palahniuk attended self-help groups for those who suffer from various sicknesses and addictions. When we think about the relevance of reading about our stories or about telling our stories, there's value in hearing what outsiders say about our oral tradition of carrying the message. Chuck Palahniuk describes 12-step groups or other support groups in this way. They've come to serve the role that organized religion used to. We used to go to church to reveal the worst aspects of ourselves, our sins to tell our stories, to be recognized, to be forgiven, and to be redeemed, accepted back into our community. This ritual was our way to stay connected to people and to resolve our anxiety before it could take us so far from humanity that we would be lost. In these places, I found the truest stories. In support groups, in hospitals, anywhere people had nothing left to lose, That's where they told the most truth. While researching my fourth book, Choke, I sat in on sex addicts' talk therapy sessions. 
twice each week for six months, Wednesdays and Friday nights. In so many ways, these rap sessions weren't much different than the Thursday night writer's workshop I attended. Both groups were just people, telling their stories. The sexaholics might have been a little less concerned about craft, but they still told their stories of anonymous bathroom sex and prostitutes with enough skill to get a good reaction from their audience. Many of these people had talked in meetings for so many years that hearing them you heard great soliloquy, a brilliant actor playing him or herself, a one-person monologue that showed an instinct for slowly revealing key information, creating dramatic tension, setting up payoffs, and completely enrolling the listener. Telephone sex lines, illness support groups, 12-step groups, all these places are schools for learning how to tell a story effectively, out loud, to people. Not just to look for ideas, but how to perform. We live our lives according to stories, about being Irish or being black, about working hard or shooting heroin, being male or female, and we spend our lives looking for evidence, facts and proof that support our story. As a writer, you just recognize that part of human nature. So that's what a fiction writer has to say about us. One of the things that we notice about AA's new pamphlet, Many Paths to Spirituality, the publication doesn't try to define spirituality. It draws from the experience of spirituality expressed from a few very varied storytellers of different creedal and cultural backgrounds. And it expresses that not only is there no wrong way to do AA, but there isn't even a preferred way to get or stay sober a la Alcoholics Anonymous. It talks about many paths to experiencing spirituality without feeling obligated to define it. Ours is an oral or written tradition of sharing our experiences. AA has been either lucky or wise in never handcuffing ourselves to a definition of addiction nor a definition of recovery. We describe how it looks and feels for each of us, and that is good enough. Certainly, it's as good as it gets in the rooms of 12-step recovery. Now, let's look at some books. Available in paperback or ebooks is My Name is Lillian and I'm an Alcoholic and an Atheist. How I Got and Stayed Sober Without All That God Stuff. It spans three years of what she calls One Side of a Conversation About Sobriety. As a New York City AA member by the pen name Lillian, she participates in an email online AA meeting from Monday, February 6, 2006 to Monday, October 18, 2008. This is Life in Recovery from Substance and Process Addiction. The book is like going to meetings for three years with Lillian. You can marathon through it in a weekend or savor it over a few pages at a time until completed. We are invited in to the real-life sobriety with loss, illness, relationships, career highs and lows, and a trip through 12 steps and other AA customs in real time as the author is processing these experiences. In About This Book, 
the author writes, Supposedly, belief in God is not required to join AA, and one might even get sober. But according to the big book, finding belief in God as we understood him is essential to staying off the bottle. I know that when I read this chapter, I want to toss the book into the nearest bonfire. There's nothing quite like being patted on the head and sagely told, Hang in there. You'll get it, stupid. Okay, it doesn't literally say that, but I took it that way. I'm here to say that profound, lasting sobriety is within your grasp. No bait and switch. You can believe in God, but it's not required. You can use the concept of a higher power, or not bother. There is no wrong way to get sober and stay sober. Doing this is a challenge, but as generations of hardcore alcoholics have shown, it can be done. Later, in Chapter 8, I'm a great believer in the buffet philosophy, take what you need and leave the rest. But what I need changes over time, so I keep both the baby and the bath water, and the steps around, just in case, thanks. There's candor about multiple addictions and therapy, She's unapologetic about outside issues. In chapter 11, she writes, When I got sober, I felt no shame. I could have sung from the rooftops about my love of sobriety, but recovery from obsessive eating? I'd rather keep it a secret. Of course, if you could see me, you might be able to guess that there's something happening in the food eating department. Recently, I've had some weight loss, or as we say in Overeaters Anonymous, physical recovery. I've lost about half the amount I'd like to lose. It can all develop into a numbers game with me. What I weigh, how many calories I eat, my goals, blah blah blah. What I didn't understand was that once I reach the comfortable weight, I don't have to fail, throw in the towel and start to gain it all back. Instead, I could let go of the food obsession and allow my feelings to come forward. One of the sayings in Overeaters Anonymous is, it's not what you're eating, it's what's eating you. When I repress my emotions, talking with my therapist opened the door for me to be healthy in recovery, both emotionally and physically. Lillian's book is like having a 12-step buddy, as you hear her through the ups and downs of these three years of her recovery. She ends the book by expanding on topics she thought she should discuss more. Sex and relationships, anger, overcoming compulsion. She makes up for it and ends with some scripts for starting your own agnostic AA group, what to read, and so on. You can't go wrong with this book. It's a 100% personal journey, so there's nothing to disagree with. Just a few things that any open-minded reader could learn from to enrich their own lives. The second book I want to talk about is from a member who also got his start in New York AA. A Free Thinker and Alcoholics Anonymous is by author John Luritzen, who got sober in Manhattan in 1968. He is among many New York AA members who were donating blood to help keep Bill Wilson alive. John's book is the cream of the take-what-you-like-and-leave-the-rest crop. Many AA books written by non-believers challenge the need for obedience or dependence on a supernatural power. John is even more critical of the 12 steps, and he makes arguments worth hearing. 
Before we even get to God, a freethinker in Alcoholics Anonymous takes issue with the idea of powerlessness. Learned dependency, or inadequacy, is, as John sees it, counterproductive. He talks about what was good about the Washingtonian movement, which preceded AA. In researching their ways of helping alcoholics, John found that empowering the alcoholic, not reinforcing dependency, creates a better state of mind for recovery and a productive life. What John Luritzen likes about AA, what he considers the AA program, is two main themes, the one-day-at-a-time idea and fellowship. Whether the steps are helpful, harmful, or both, it is intolerable that they should become sacred dogma. Every AA member and every AA group should be free to reinterpret and rewrite the steps, in line with the principles of the AA preamble and the Twelve Traditions. The true AA, the fellowship, belongs to us free thinkers as much as it does to the God people. So he sees AA as a fellowship, not a program, and the Twelve Steps as suggested, or even optional. I'm a fan of the Twelve Steps. Of course, I think that everyone ought to word the steps according to their own worldview, how much we each feel outside forces control our lives versus internal freedom of choice. So I don't agree with John L. on everything. I make different choices for myself than he does. Nevertheless, his views continue to open my mind to the varieties of recovery available inside the AA framework. Furthermore, under a general critique of the steps, John goes on to challenge some of the assumed morality and causality of alcoholism and how to arrest it. He says the fundamental flaw with the steps is that character defects cause alcoholism rather than the other way around. While promoting the spiritual at the expense of the physical, the steps don't even mention the real heart of recovery, the 24-hour program. The steps fail to mention physical recovery, social recovery, financial recovery, or intellectual recovery, or abstinence of other mind-altering drugs. From my own experience, physical recovery is of crucial importance. Step 8 in my own Freethinker Steps for Recovery from Alcoholism reads, We strive to be in good health. We stop smoking exercise, got good rest, and ate nutritious food. It's sadly significant that Bill W., author of The Steps, was unable to stop smoking, even when he was dying from emphysema. So, if for a moment you were thinking John L.'s AA was the lazy alcoholic's recovery plan, it's not. John's definition of meaningful sobriety means to be free from all unhealthy agents. Sugar, caffeine, nicotine and becoming a couch potato are all off-limits for John's sobriety. He talks about an important meeting he had with a doctor in his early recovery who showed how sugar and other stimulants prevent alcoholics from overcoming craving and living the best of sober lives. It turns out John is hypoglycemic. Rest, moderation, eating, and exercise make John's recovery more demanding than a lot of some big book thumpers. John and I probably have several overlaps in our libraries. 
One of them is Catherine Ketchum, who co-authored Experiencing Spirituality with Ernie Kurtz, and James R. Millam, who authored Under the Influence, a guide to myths and realities of alcoholism, confirms that the great majority of alcoholics suffer from chronic low blood sugar. Anxiety, depression, and impulse such as drinking or other forms of acting out can all be triggered by sugar imbalance. A free thinker in Alcoholics Anonymous is under 120 pages, so it's not a huge time commitment, but it's a rational and experience-based look at what really gets us clean and sober. Under the pen name Vince Hawkins, you can find a series of other books that are worth a read. There's two versions of An Atheist Unofficial Guide to AA, one for old-timers and one for newcomers. He also penned a 100-page workbook called An Atheist's 12 Steps to Self-Improvement to accompany any program. So the guidebook is for AA members, and the 12-step book is for all 12-steppers. Pick one of the Vince Hawking books and try it out. If you treat it like taking a 12-step member out for coffee after a meeting and asking how they see this AA thing, that's what the reading experience will be like. Vince talks about how he came to AA and agnostic, and through the careful investigation that the big book demands, he became an atheist. He went from agnostic to atheist. Vince was sober over a decade when he started writing what he learned in AA. He offers an atheist version of the 12 steps and says this, The atheist version, first three steps, suggests that we were alcoholic and could not manage our own lives. Therefore, we needed the help of AA, and that we should practice humility by letting go of self-will. For the third step, you will need to judge how tiny you are in the scale of things by realizing there are much bigger things than yourself. This is not the same as low self-worth, which AA helps to raise. Vince talks about finding one's own concept of greater powers and suggests that it isn't difficult regardless of how helpless or self-sufficient we each feel. The old-timer's version gives advice to help the newcomer and the newcomer's version offers advice about how to relate to the seemingly archaic ideas in the big book. In this regard, Hawking's books are more like after-meeting chatter, where we're more inclined to find advice-giving than in the meetings, where it's more sharing of experience. If you find advice-giving tantamount to lecturing and thus un-12-step, think of these books like a temporary sponsor. Sponsors tend to suggest this or that, give advice, challenge our ways the sort of things that don't happen when we're sharing in a meeting. Hawkins is a big fan of the book Living Sober, as I am. He writes his book in a similar style, including anecdotal stories, some of his own and some that he's heard in the rooms. Next up is a book that in many ways opened the floodgates of freethinker AA writings. Philip Z became a state-licensed family marriage and child therapist in 1975. In 1985, he started confronting his body image and relationship with food. He joined OA. As part of that therapy, he went to AA meetings. 
I would call Philip Z. a secular Jew. He's clearly an atheist. Hazelton published his book, A Skeptic's Guide to the Twelve Steps, in October of 1990. In many ways, I see this book as ahead of the curve of great free-thinking 12-step literature available to curious addicts and alcoholics and codependents today. I quote this book in my book, Beyond Belief, Agnostic Musings for 12-Step Life. Like much of the alternative views of the steps, this is an apologist's view. The reason is that universal truths underlie each of the steps. Just because we find the religiosity or judo-Christian morality of the steps off-putting, the wording need not be a roadblock. Our man Z, or Zed, or stick to calling him Philip, draws upon transpersonal psychology, Eastern philosophy, and his own personal 12-step process to give a there-are-no-excuses-just-challenges approach to working, not analyzing the 12 steps. Here are three great excerpts from Philip Z's A Skeptic's Guide to the 12 Steps. Unfortunately, we have come to depend on the quick solution rather than experiencing and integrating many of life's difficult challenges. As a consequence, we never fully matured. Abstinence is necessary for us not just because of an allergy to alcohol or sugar, but because we begin to grow psychologically and spiritually. This is why coming to terms with my addiction must eventually involve spiritual work, the essence of which is the willingness to face, rather than avoid, pain and suffering. One of the fundamental psychological principles of which the 12-step process rests, as I understand it, is the idea that emotions and behavior are expressions of thoughts and attitudes. As we have seen, particularly in our examination of character defects, how and what we think dictates how we respond to events and people. And this third one? A common characteristic of people with compulsive behaviors is our tendency to get ahead of ourselves. We want all things to happen on our timetable and are terribly impatient with ourselves with little or no regard for our own internal rhythms. Our minds seem to refuse to take things one at a time. So if that sounds palatable, order the book and have a read. I first got my copy of A Skeptic's Guide to the Twelve Steps from Roger C. of my own home group in Toronto, Canada. Roger authored The Little Book, a collection of alternative Twelve Steps. This booklet contains 20 variations of AA's original steps that are being used around the world today. These include a cognitive behavioral therapist view, Aboriginal, Islamic, Humanist, Atheist, Buddhist, and Agnostic variations as well. There are essays on the steps by fellow writers. Stephanie Covington, A Woman's Way Through the Twelve Steps, Alan Berger, The Therapeutic Value of the Twelve Steps. Teresa Jacob Stewart, Mindfulness in the Twelve Steps, and Gabor Maté in the Realm of Hungry Ghosts. I'll likely sit down with Roger and talk about his workbook on a separate show. 
but it's an indispensable tool in the 21st century recovery arsenal. You can buy it directly from www.rebelliondogspublishing.com. Just click on the bookstore. Waiting, A Non-Believer's Higher Power is one of the great books by Maria Hornbacker. She has other successful books on bulimia, Wasted, and Mental Health, Sane. Mariah H. will be one of the speakers at the first ever We Agnostics and Freethinkers International Conference of Alcoholics Anonymous in Santa Monica, November 6th to 8th. I interviewed Mariah about her book back in 2011 for The Fix. She had some great insights that I'll share with you. First, I want to share a few gems right from her book. The spiritual healing I've sought has only been found by beginning to heal how I have related to the world. Until I do all I can to heal those I've harmed to repair the places where I've done damage, I won't have any way of knowing how to avoid doing damage again until I face how my relationships to the world have really been, I will never know the truth of who I was, nor will I know who I am now. And until I know those things, who I was, who I am, I will never become a person I want to be. When we shut down in this way, by addiction, by fighting, by attempts to control by what the big book aptly calls self-will-run-riot, we have no space in ourselves for spiritual growth or awareness. And we need that space. Without it, our spirits wither. Our hearts become rigid and cannot love. We have no ability to really experience the life we are living. It is a regrettable habit we have of thinking we are entitled to have all that we want. Here's a few more. I fight, I resist. It doesn't even matter what I resist. There is simply something in me that tends to resist things as they are. I've been fighting since I was very small, and I believe that my addiction was a response, in some measure, to the fact that the fight was futile, and I could not tolerate that fact. I couldn't tolerate the fact that I did not control my world. Doubt is the very heart of spiritual experience. Without it, we would never ask the hard questions about the nature of our existence, why we are here, how did we get here, what are our origins, what is our purpose, and what is our ends. These are spiritual questions asked by spiritual people, and they lead to growth. When we doubt, we learn to accept that we may not ever know. When we question, we learn to accept that there may be no answer. When we shout our doubt out into the universe, we learn to accept that we may be met with silence we do not know how to read. To accept doubt, a lack of certainty, is to accept the very nature of life as it is. And finally, the 12-step program isn't actually an attempt at religious conversion. Really, it just tries to bring us to a place of new spiritual understanding that allows us to live differently in this world. The steps are not intended to get us to heaven or save us from hell. This is not about life in another world, above or below. This is about how we live here. Hornbacker's spiritual life is not a series of Hollywood aha moments of peace and clarity. Instead, spiritual connection is the doubt and asking without a sense of entitlement. 
Versed in religious literature of a number of traditions, Hornbacker saw doubt portrayed as suffering, but that was not her experience. To her, doubt is an opportunity. Sometimes the answers come and sometimes they don't, but the exercise of waiting teaches patience, humility, and willingness. Now that is adapting to life on life's terms. Here's a question I pose directly to Mariah. Uh, why do you stick with the word non-believer? Your writing clearly shows that you believe a lot. I get asked a lot, she says, are you an atheist or an agnostic? I don't like the common definition of either words. People's experience differs from the popular understanding. The assumption is that nothing spiritual exists for atheists. I know many atheists who do believe a spiritual life exists within us and between us, and many agnostics would not say, yes, I believe there is something out there. Non-believer, for me, is a very specific term, meaning that I don't believe in a theistic or deistic world or universe. I was frustrated. I was talking to a friend and I said, you know, I feel like I'm required to know an upwardly located deity or power. I searched and I didn't find one. When you say the word atheist, you hear and feel or imagine a ripple. Or maybe that's just my perception. Maybe people don't bat an eye. But my perception is that as I speak, you can hear people thinking, Oh God, how is she going to do this if she can't recognize God if she understands him? Some people suggest the group as your higher power, a doorknob, whatever you need. But I struggle with the very idea of a higher power. My experience has been that I don't require one in order to find spiritual growth and recovery. I find these things in the rooms, in actions, reflections, the work I do with people, and the work they do with me. I asked her, could the language of the big book be altered to be more inclusive? And she said, uh, yes, but I come from two positions on this. I'm torn. Firstly, all the 12-step fellowships work from a language which is quite old. Step six, separating the men from the boys, for instance. I've come to believe that they meant me too. When the movement started, it was assumed that you were religious. Since then, membership has changed. Women, young people, and people from various faiths. They've all found a place here. I think the last people to feel that they don't have a place are the non-theists. If you can find the spiritual principles and put them to work for you in your life, I think you have a hell of a good shot at making it. Secondly, and this is going to sound kind of old-fashioned, but just as true for me is that these first 164 pages, the big book, it contains a great deal of inspiration and it's kept a great many millions of people sober. So I believe there is such an enormous value in the literature. This is where we learn in a general way how AA members have gotten and stayed sober over time. How it works is a critical chapter. That's where the steps are explained. The steps are essential to me. They cover so much of how to redefine myself, how we come to be of service to others. We can work with the literature, but I feel I had to worm my way into saying, okay, this means women, that means atheists, and they meant me too. 
I'm not sure they did mean that, but I feel there's a place for me in the rooms. I see the personal stories in the big book. We have token diversity right now. There are a couple of gay stories, some women, a few ethnic varieties, and an agnostic. The personal stories mean a great deal to us because we hear our own stories told through them. So that's Rebellion Dogs Radio, the book club edition. (laughs) Tell us what you're reading. That's just a little bit of what's on my uh, bookshelf. You can find any of these books. Mariah Hornbacker books. uh, Philip Z, A Skeptic's Guide to the Twelve Steps. Roger C's. The Little Book, a collection of alternative 12 steps. My name's Lillian, and I'm an alcoholic and atheist. John Loretzen's A Free Thinker and Alcoholics Anonymous, and more. Vince Hawking's His Collection of Books. These are all available at www.rebelliondogspublishing.com. Go to our bookstore, browse around, tell us what we should be adding. Tell me what I should be reading, and we'll cover it. We're always open to your comments, your concerns, your criticisms. It's going to help shape radio shows in the future. So let us know. Thanks for being part of Rebellion Dogs Radio. We're always available on Twitter, on Facebook, rebelliondogspublishing.com. Thanks for spending some time with us. Until next time. I'm not happy being me. I couldn't handle being you. Give me what I want Cause I won't know what to do I'm a chronic malcontent Said a chronic malcontent You know you might be heaven sent But I'm a chronic malcontent Yes you I'm not broken, I'm just bent I'm a 
call on Dr. Phil When you start that psychobabble I'm familiar with that drill Am I trying to change you? Why try to fix me? Serenity makes me nuts But I love calamity About half of being me I'm a chronic malcontent I couldn't handle being you I'm a chronic malcontent Can't pay attention all around I'm a chronic malcontent This ain't no loser's lament I'm a chronic malcontent Discontent and I'm proud I'm a chronic malcontent That's why I sing it right out loud I'm a chronic malcontent And I know I'm not Sonic, I'm a chronic, chronic, chronic malcontent. We're Ben John's Addiction and Recovery Radio Show, bringing you a 21st century look at 12-step life. News at rebelliondogspublishing.com.